Welcome to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman from Waco, Texas. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith from New York City. Each week we get together to talk about the readings for the upcoming Sunday. We hope to help both the sermon prepping pastor as well as everybody, since we all need to find that thread of grace, the gospel, throughout the scriptures. So dust off your Bible. Let's jump in. Welcome back to another episode of Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries, uh, where we uh, seek to open up the lectionary readings of the day for devotion and to help with sermons. My name is the Reverend Jacob Smith, and I'm the rector of Calvary St. George's in Manhattan, and I am joined by my good friend, Aaron Zimmerman, who is the... Let me do it, Jake. Yeah, okay, do it. (laughs) I don't want to steal your thunder. I'm the rector of St. Albans Episcopal Church in Waco, Texas. This is what happens when you have two preachers online, and uh, they just always want to talk. So uh, we're uh, beginning on the third Sunday of Advent, making our way. We're getting really excited about Christmas. And uh, and uh, for many of you, you might uh, see in your church an Advent wreath. So uh, just to bring that up, that's not the uh, wreath for the countdown to Christmas, although it is. But kind of the symbolism there is the idea of eternity. It's covered in evergreen with four candles, typically three purple ones and a pink, or three purple ones and a blue, and then with a, a, a white-centered candle, which represents the purity and the coming of our Lord for Christmas. And so we uh, look forward to uh, the coming of our Lord with great expectation, and the candles remind us of that. And um, our readings here today remind us of that great expectation of the coming of our Lord and the joy that comes with it. However, in the midst of that, there uh, can be trial and tribulation. And uh, I think the collect of the day opens up uh, with kind of uh, understanding that we are sorely hindered by our sin. What do you think about that, Aaron? Yeah, well, I think everybody should be an Episcopalian, Jake, because if you're not, you're Mm. missing out on these incredible prayers. So I know we have an ecumenical Mm. uh, group of listeners, but um, if you are not an Episcopalian, uh, feel free to use this prayer, but the third Sunday of Advent begins with one of the most powerful sentences, I think, in the prayer book. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us, and because we are sorely hindered by our sins, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us. So, you know, it's it's an urgent prayer. It begins with the phrase, stir up your power. A lot of, most collects begin with some address of God. You know, dear God, O Lord, Heavenly Father, Almighty and Everlasting God, you know, a formal address of God. But the speaker here is so desperate that he or she just says immediately, stir up your power, O Lord. I mean, we get to this demand, this plea. And who in your congregation is not sorely hindered by their sins? And then there's this request for grace and mercy and not just, you know, by and by, but speedily help and deliver us. Um, and I think it's always so important. You know, this podcast, we hope that we are reaching desperate preachers and that you are desperate because it's the night before your sermon tomorrow, or maybe it's the end of a long week and you've been stressed uh, and not sure what to preach on. 
Uh, it's such a busy time of year for preachers. So we're, we're hoping to help you, but we're also are aware that you're probably desperate because you're a human being, your job aside. And so this colic for me always helps to ground me, root me in the fact that I am someone who is sorely hindered by my sins. I'm preaching to people who are sorely hindered by their sins. And what we need is a God who will stir up his power and who will come quickly, who will speedily help and deliver us. And I think, you know, uh, that's something that orients um, kind of where we're going today. I think also uh, uh, I'm thinking a lot about Kanye West. And this is a little bit of a, a warm up here. You know, preachers, we tend to jump so quickly into the, into the Bible uh, and uh, get sort of theological, right, Jake? Um, but it, it's yeah. good to think about what we're actually thinking about and what your congregation's actually thinking about, uh, especially this this time of year. So Kanye's got, um, as we're recording this, an album that's still relatively new. When you're listening to it, it will be old hat, and the conversation will have moved on. But uh, it's seven tracks uh, that he recorded in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, of all places. Um, and it begins with an exploration of his own... Um, uh, bipolar condition and the human condition. And he says, um, sort of amazingly, in this opening track, uh, um, it's called I Thought About Killing You, which is uh, admittedly pretty dark. Uh, but he says, uh, you know, I love myself more than I love you. And I'm thinking about killing myself. So, of course, I'm going to think about killing you. And that sounds so shocking to even talk about those homicidal and suicidal thoughts. Um, but as we have seen in the news over the past um, several uh, weeks, uh, suicide among even successful celebrities is um, sadly common. So he says, um, it, you know, uh, these things that we're feeling that are too dark to talk about, just say it out loud to see how it feels. And he, he says how people don't say, don't say this, don't say that. And he says, just say it out loud just to see how it feels. Um, uh, he says, you know, this is the part I'm supposed to say something good to compensate so this doesn't come off bad. But sometimes I think really bad things. And that's the thing. Everybody in your congregation thinks about really bad things. You probably have thought horrible things, preachers, about people as they're sitting across from you at your desk or in a staff meeting or uh, in a pastoral counseling session or with your own family because we're people. And uh, so I, I just I can't that's that's kind of where I am as, as we are. Um, ourselves desperate, talking to desperate people. Kanye helps get me in touch with that, but you know, look to where your sources are uh, as we begin to look at these texts. What do you think about that, Jake? Well, I think, no, I, I mean, I think, uh, I think Kanye and the colic hit, hit the nail right on the head. And uh, what uh, Kanye describes life, and then I think the colic describes what we need, yeah. and that is not only help, but deliverance. And yeah. um, and you know, uh, and this is this is what kind of really begins to lead into uh, the uh, Old Testament reading and the Epistle reading, is this notion of of help and deliverance. Uh, but in the midst of that, to be able to rejoice, um, you know, Zephaniah literally means God hides, and um, and it's written on the brink of right before uh, the sack of Jerusalem, and. Um, and uh, um, and all things are about are are about to and are falling apart. And maybe this is how you feel in your life. And yet the 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 prophet the prophet ex, um, extols the people to rejoice in the midst of that. And sometimes I just want to say when I read these passages, like, are you crazy? Mm. What is that about? And I think what Zephaniah and Philippians begin to open us up to is the concept and the notion of what faith is all about. Mm. Um, and uh, 
And what is faith? You know, a lot of people, I'll hear them say all the time in my congregation, well, I just have a lot of faith. You know, I just have a lot of faith. As if it's just kind of some sort of voodoo. You know what I mean? Some sort of, some sort of like, um, some sort of power that I have to just kind of uh, be, be foolish. Mm. And, um, and, but actually, what you begin to see is that faith is a gift given to us from God to believe that He will help deliver and save us despite oftentimes all evidence to the contrary. And uh, this is what makes Zephaniah, and this is what makes our readings um, from the Apostle Paul on uh, Third Advent so so powerful. Uh, what do you think about anything stick out to you specifically from the Zephaniah reading? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we get the, if you have some uh, um, secret papist in your congregation or uh, uh, closet Anglo-Catholics, or maybe they're out. We're, we're, we're ecumenical. Yeah, that's right. We're ecumenical. That's right. Uh, but that, so this is traditionally called Gaudete Sunday, because that's the Latin word for rejoice. And it, we get this in the Zephaniah reason, reading, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. So yeah, it, it's, it's this odd thing, rejoice in the midst of suffering, which is sort of like what Paul says in Philippians, which is even when you're in prison and being persecuted, uh, you know, rejoice because Jesus is coming soon. He's near, he says. Um, so you have similar ideas in both of these things. The The Zephaniah passage, I think it has one of the, um, I think one of the most touching, somewhat sentimental, but gosh, if we can't be sentimental in church, when can we be? I mean, we need, yeah. we need a little love. Mm-hmm. We need a little help. We need some hugs. And uh, this passage says, God is in your midst. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He'll renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. And I think about any time in your life when you have sung to another person, it's probably Mm. because you're proposing or because it's a child you love or um, uh, maybe it's a a, um, karaoke session and you're trying to impress someone. But usually when you sing to someone, it's because there's real love there and, and you see that. So, while Jerusalem is is uh, hanging in the in the balance and uh, the whole project is kind of falling apart, we get this word from Zephaniah, this minor prophet, who we're spending a lot of time with them in the in the Advent season, uh, that God will rejoice over you with gladness, renew you in His love, and exult over you with loud singing. It's just a beautiful picture, I think, of God's presence and love in mm. in suffering. Which again, the picture in Advent. You know, you've said this before, Jake, uh, Advent uh, has been seen by some as kind of a mini Lent. It's a time to look at the dark things in life. Uh, Fleming Rutledge, one of our favorites, says that uh, Advent begins in the dark, uh, and I think that's true. But she also says it moves towards light. And so this is the Sunday, this rejoicing Sunday, where we write the we light the pink candle. It's a little bit of a relief. It's a little uh, opening the, the pressure release valve. Um we we have this beautiful picture of God rejoicing over us with singing even while things are falling apart. And it's, I think it's always yeah. so good to remind people in our congregations of how God thinks about them, how God sees about them. If we can use anthropomorphic language, how God feels about them, God looks at them with yeah. love. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and uh, this, this passage ultimately does uh, find its fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus. Um, you know, I love how it, I mean, it's especially, you know, when you're, when you're really going through the pickle, I love this. I will deal with all of your oppressors at yeah. that time, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I mean, you know, the truth is, is that we're all lame, you know, especially you. Know, you. When we think, when we, yeah. <laughs> I know, <laughs> have you heard my sermons lately? But anyway, um, 
But the idea here is, is that, you know, we're all, if you're sorely hindered by sin, you are lame. If you are sorely hindered by sin, you are the outcast. We love to like chuck that on people over there and talk about it as if it's people over there. But when you begin to understand it's you, um, then this word begins to hit home and the good news of the gospel um, uh, begins to make sense that he's going to gather us into an everlasting kingdom. And he's going to take and uh, and take your shame and uh, and uh, and turn it into the renown of all the earth, because in 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 Christ we've been made the righteousness of God. And uh, um, you know these become uh, not just cliches but real anchors of eternal hope. And uh, that's what we want to give give uh, the people ultimately in in your message and in your their devotion. Yeah, and, and let me get on a little soapbox here. I think it's so. May, may I, Jake? permission for soapbox um, grandstanding. Of course, of course. Uh, you know, I think uh, preachers, one of the biggest mistakes they make is that they don't see their congregation or themselves as folks who are sorely hindered by their sins. Um, you know, the picture that we get in these readings, you know, where God says, I will save the lame and gather the outcast in the collect, which it says people are sorely hindered by their sins. You know, the picture we should, we should picture people uh, as um, on crutches, or, uh, you know, uh, just maybe in a coma. Uh, and, but so many preachers view them as Hans and Franz, or, you know, some sort of um, uh, weightlifters and bodybuilders and you know, athletes and, um, uh, you know, Laird Hamilton, the, the big wave surfer, and his wife, Gabrielle <laughs> Reese, I think right. her name's like, the, these are like right. Adonis type people. And spiritually, we tend to think of ourselves like that, maybe, or our, our preachers do, and they say, everybody try harder, because, you know, the problem is you're, you're just not trying. And uh, it, it reminds me of the old Fitz Allison's, you know, Bishop Allison would, told this story, I think, about, was it him? Anyways, about, um, uh, you know, a truck that was in the ditch, and it, some guy oh, would, yeah. uh, hooked kittens up to kind of pull it out yeah. of the ditch, and somebody came along and said, what are you doing? You're not going to get the truck out of the ditch with kittens. And he said, well, I've got a whip. And yeah. so if you if you see your people as able to do the work and you're just going to exhort them more, you'll just it's like you're whipping kittens to try to get a t- truck out of yeah. the ditch. Well, you know, there's that great saying, well, you know, Christianity and religion is a crutch. And, you know, and, and um, I actually say it's 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 far more drastic than that. It's actually a complete and total life support yeah. system uh, because I am. I am dead. And, you know, and it's not until, yeah, if you think if you think your congregation is actually capable of doing anything, um, then uh, you're going to begin to hate them eventually. And uh, and um, but when you begin to see and understand what it is to be sorely hindered by sin, and that begins with you, you know, when you're preaching. Uh, you always preach to yourself. You preach the lowest common denominator, which is you, Amen. and uh, you will hit everybody in the heart then. And so, um, and so, find get in touch with your wound. Get in touch. Don't be thinking of yourself as the Adonis delivering some sort of. Pr- no, um, the messengers of God are wounded and dead men and women. And so, find that wound. Uh, find your Philippian jail. And uh, and then you'll have something to say on the third Sunday of Advent. Yeah, and of course the the response, at least in the lectionary, is this Isaiah response: uh, "Surely it's God who saves me, not uh, God is lucky to have me. Look at how I pulled myself out of the ditch." I mean, and we get this tone in in. I mean, that's what the Zephaniah thing is: God will bring us home. God will restore your fortunes. God will deal with the oppressors. It's it's all one sided. 
I will trust in him and not be afraid. That's right. At least for a second. Yeah. And that really brings us into uh, Philippians chapter four. Yeah. Rejoice, Paul says, rejoice. And so many churches uh, have this rejoicing in a very facile, superficial, hey, everybody, come on, get happy. Bobby McFerrin. A complete abstraction. Right. Just rejoice. Uh, God is good all the time. And again, you forget people are sorely hindered by their sins. Jake is laughing now. Uh, Do people (laughs) tell that to you, Jake? No, but every time I hear that, I just want, like, God is good all the time. I just want to be like, shut up. Except in the slums outside of Manila. Yeah. I'm like, really? I mean, that is, um, and that, that we, we serve a hidden God. Uh, you don't see him. You have to hear him. And this is one of the themes of Advent too, is, is that um, also, um, um, not Advent to the Sunday, but um, also in Advent is that like <laughs> God speaks and you need to hear this word. Paul is in jail, you know, in a Roman jail, which is an awful, awful place. And yet he says, the Lord is near. Do not worry about anything. I mean, that is a proclamation. That is not an abstraction. Right. That is a confidence which comes solely by the Holy Spirit. Um, it, is a, it is a confidence which is a gift to believe that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has, is, and will make all things new. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's this thing where Paul says, let your requests be made known to God. And it seems like an obvious thing, but so many people, because we're so self-centered, again, going back to Zephaniah, we think that we have to save ourselves, um, but the passage is about God will save us. In the Philippians thing, when we worry, often that worry is like, what am I going to do? How am I going to solve this? How am I going to fix it? Mm -hmm. It seems like you're thinking about other people, but really it's very self-absorbed and sort of narcissistic, turned inward. Um, and so the, the reason Paul can tell us not to worry about anything is because he says, you need to, you need to tell God, give it, give it to God. Mm. And I, you know, I'm not a guy, you know, preachers always looking for illustrations. This was the one time I got a divine, uh, given illustration. I had a dream where I was carrying all these rocks and actually I I preached about it and our buddy John Zoll listened to it. And then he did what most preachers do. He completely stole it, ripped it off and put it in his book, uh, (laughs) Grace and Addiction. Although he, uh, he did credit me, uh, which is what it's all about. Um, but I had this dream uh, where I was carrying all these rocks, like all these burdens. Plagiarism is a spiritual gift. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, Bono said it. Every poet is a yeah. cannibal. Every artist is a thief. And you could add preachers to yeah. that, too. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was dreaming that I was carrying all these burdens. And they were they were boulders that I couldn't even lift. And in the dream, Jesus appeared. And he was huge. And he picked them up. And they were just like little tiny pebbles to him. And he just put them in his pocket and and walked off. And it was uh, really profound. Um, and I think there's something in that where the things that feel like boulders to us, while we're in our prisons, where we are sorely hindered by our sins, it's always good to check, well, have you have you told God about it? Um, mm. And have you looked at Christ? You know, there's this thing where he says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the number one request I get when I ask, how can I pray for you? People always say, I want peace, because people are just struggling out there um, in a constant state of anxiety. And, um, you know, it's, yeah. that, that's what you, what you just described is, is so powerful, though. Um, you know, and I think we've all, if you're a pastor, you've, we've all been in those places where you're up at three in the morning um, on your knees and um, going, you know, WTF. And um, why the face? And yeah, why the face? And uh, why the fudge? <laughs> so, um, 
Uh, but, uh, you know, and I've had people come and say, well, if God, you know, people who think they're really smart and they've, you know, done a little Google research and think they're theologians. And they always, you know, they always say, You're saying um, that you know, with well, love and no contempt. Knows, no, in total contempt. <laughs> but, uh, um, <laughs> but uh, people always say, you know, well, if God knows everything, why, why bring my requests, you know, and uh, why pray at all? And, you know, and I always want to remind people that, and this is what, what, your 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 vision that you had is so powerful is that um is that this isn't about logic mm. this is about a relationship and uh this is about this is about faith um which is a gift from god and uh and we do have a god who's not an abstraction but a god who is our father and so that in the midst of the struggles of our life we can bring our prayers and requests to him and you know and prayer so often is is all is about us to remind us that god is our father which then creates that peace, which only Christ can give. Yeah, uh, it, the 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 irreverent thought I'm thinking right now, thanks to you, Jake, is uh, Family uh-huh. Guy when uh, uh, oh. Peter's trapped in the elevator with God, and uh, uh-huh. and he presents his requests. He makes known to him the things he's worried about. Uh, like he says, can can you can I ask you some questions about Tom Brady? And God says, I wouldn't deign to speak for Tom Brady. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, Fair enough. Right. Uh, that is such a good, such a good um, uh, illustration of what God is not. Yes. And so, yeah. <laughs> all right. But uh, so thanks, Seth McFarland. Moving on to Luke chapter three. So here we we're back again with John the Baptist. You know, it's the season of Advent, which to most of your people they think it's about Christmas. They're expecting baby Jesus uh, and Mary and all that sort of stuff. They don't get that till Christmas Eve. Right now, we're still with John the Baptist in the Judean countryside. Uh, this guy wearing the the furry coat and eating the locusts, and people are coming to him, and he calls them a bunch of snakes. What do you think about this passage, Jake? Well, you know, John the Baptist is, uh, um, so last week we got a picture of him, and uh, today we hear his message. And uh, John the Baptist is the last of the fiery Old Testament prophets. Um, you know, he, um, he uh, symbolizes that, that prophetic message of, um, of, of the law, which condemns and accuses. And uh, so, and here he comes and uh, he lets them know that, um, uh, you know, if you think it's just about blood, if you think it's just about, um, um, you know, I've always been an Episcopalian, um, as I hear sometimes people say, you know, he's like, well, God is able to raise up children of Abraham. God is able to raise up Episcopalians from the stones. <laughs> you know, he doesn't, he doesn't need, he doesn't, you know, none of that matters. And so, and what he's going to do is he's coming and God is going to come and bring some judgment. And, uh, and this judgment is terrifying, but this gives us an insight into kind of, um, kind of how we handle people pastorally, doesn't it, Aaron? Yeah, so he tells them uh, they should be afraid, be very afraid. Their pedigree doesn't matter. Their resume doesn't matter. So they say, what should we do? And I bet you preachers have people asking you what you should do um, or what they should do. Yeah, but give us some meat. Give us give us some Move meat. Move on from the milk. Tell yeah. us what to do. We need deeper teaching, Pastor. <laughs> uh, these... These conversations we hear happen to other people, not to Jake and me, but we're trying yeah. to connect with you folks out there. Um, what then should we do? How should we live? And what's amazing is John tells them the answer. And of course, it's things they already know, like 
don't be a terrible person. You know, it's like Google's old motto, which apparently is not their motto anymore, but their 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 <laughs> motto is don't be evil. Um, That's right. You know, he says basically, thanks. Yeah, kindergarten stuff. Share with somebody. If somebody doesn't have yeah. food, give them some food. If somebody doesn't have a coat, give them a coat. Uh, the tax collectors are like, what should we do? And he's like, well, have you seen your job description? Just collect the taxes, but don't steal money for yourself. Don't extort people. And the soldiers, what should we do? And he says, also, don't be terrible using your power and the threat of state punishment to uh, to extort people. Just be satisfied with your wages. And you can sort of see them like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Well, it, it- – it says right there that actually, and I mean, and the law, when it's preached, it does its work, um, you know, and because it says in the next verse, they were all filled with expectation yeah. and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John. You know, and here's the thing. I mean, it's 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 not only, and this is what makes our confession so powerful, um, the, the prayer that we use, um, so powerful that it says, um, you know, um, uh, things done and left undone, things known and unknown. And, you know, it's the undone and the unknown that are your, that are the real problems, yeah. you know? And, um, but, uh, but this is the thing. I mean, it's, it's, uh, the issue is, is, is not, am I not doing something? The thing is, is I know what I'm doing and I'm not doing it. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is the point of John and, uh, and what he's saying is, you know what to be doing. Yeah. You are not doing it. You have a conscience. Yeah, and so, and um, yeah, the, and the thing that, that I love about this, for all those preachers that think that we should end every sermon with an application, telling people what to do, this passage shows that that sort of doesn't work. Because after John tells them what work. to do, the whole point of the passage is, it's not enough. Because uh, mm. John says, no, someone else has to come. It's the, God's job is not primarily to tell you what to do. God's job primarily is to come and save you. So John pitches the law as high as he can, tells people to get right, tells people to watch out uh, uh, because judgment is coming. But then he says, actually, someone else is going to come because it's you guys. And again, tying it back to Philippians and to Zephaniah, this idea that we don't save ourselves. God is the one who needs to save us. Uh, If we could save ourselves, John the Baptist would be enough because he tells us what to do. But uh, actually, we need somebody else to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Also, uh, this passage does use the word thong uh, in the NRSV. Uh, You may have some snickering children in the uh, audience and some juvenile adults who find that funny. Uh, Just got to keep that poker face and move right along. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, I think it's interesting that it says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Yeah. And um, and fire in the this was so funny. I remember one time I was at a a, um, at a a, a kind of a church service and uh, they were singing the song the refrain, um, it was a contemporary song, and they were singing, fire fall down on us. And I was like, you know, in in the Old Testament, that was never good news. And I just kept my mouth shut that whole time. I was like, not me, Lord. And um, and so, but but this is, you know, that one is coming with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork in, is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Um, that uh, family guy, a cartoon that you quoted with uh, Peter stuck in the elevator with God, says that the, un- the people who uh, deal with unquenchable fire are the folks who say they're spiritual but not religious. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> what do you think about those, God? Straight to the depths of hell, the boiler room of hell. I plunge them. I plunge them. I let them out just to then plunge them back. That makes me feel good. (laughs) 
Yeah. So, but um, go ahead Jake. to wrap this up. I mean, I just think that you know what you have to remember is is that uh, indeed there wasn't the, the Messiah did come, and uh, the Messiah did follow John the Baptist, and the, the good news of the gospel is is he came and he brought took the judgment upon himself. He was consumed with unquenchable fire, which was the wrath of God upon the cross. Mm. As he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took um, and became, uh, he took the threshing and became the chaff so that we, uh, by uh, that Holy Spirit, might become glorious stalks of wheat, um, uh, might become uh, something that bears fruit and bears uh, bears fruit that lasts. Yeah. And uh, becomes the enabling word to say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Um, and uh, not as an abstraction, yeah. but as a concrete reality of our life. Yeah. And, you know, there is a little thing here. You can always, uh, preachers, decide how much you want to get into um, agricultural terminology of the first century. Uh, but uh, what John is describing here, a winnowing fork was used to throw wheat into the air. A threshing floor was a flat place, usually up on the top of a hill so that wind would blow through. And you throw the wheat or grain into the air and the wind would blow away the chaff, the husk of the seed that you don't eat. And the uh, grains would fall to the ground and then you could gather up the grain and put it in your in your barn, your granary. And so John sees Jesus as someone who's going to come and do that. He's going to uh, you know, a new sheriff in town, he's going to bring judgment. And you can um, uh, see why John would think that, because there's a lot of bad around, a lot of bad actors and bad folks. And um, But yeah, Jake, you're right. John kind of, he was right, but not, he didn't totally get it. He thought the judgment, that Jesus was coming to bring judgment, but Jesus was coming actually to be judged in our place. Uh, Jesus himself would be the one that would be threshed, um, and that that he would he would taste the the fire. Um, so John is John is kind of uh, he's got a partial picture, but not a whole picture. And this is why Jesus is such a surprise. And so many people today think Jesus. We're like John the Baptist. We think Jesus is coming to clean house. Um, that Jesus is primarily someone who comes to judge, um, but actually he he comes to be judged in our place. Mm. And that is good news. And because. He has been judged in our place. We can await eagerly for his second coming. And um, and uh, that's the good news. So, yeah, so light um, that pink candle. Where we, will see him, where, where we will see him not as a judge, but as a friend, as our funeral service says. Yeah. So a lot of uh, prayer book references here. It's really good stuff. And so, um, but God bless you all. And we'll chat with you next week. God bless. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you liked what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.